It's the last regular show of the 2020 season, and in a final Friday news and comment edition, I'll talk with Harold Nichols and Ray Murphy, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, September the 18th. It's show number 28 of the 2020 Fantasy Baseball season, our last regular show of the year. We will have a round table next week to mark the end of the 2020 season. Meantime, I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we do have another great Friday news and comment edition for you. We'll have our Market Watch player news reports. Harold Nichols covering the National League, including Jacob deGrom, Justin Turner, some other players, and some closing thoughts for this season. And Ray Murphy has news from the American League, including Matt Chapman, Lance McCullers, Bo Bichette, and more. We'll also have our regular commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In Hey Taxi, Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky looks at San Francisco relief pitcher Camilo Doval. And in extra innings, I'll be talking about fun with pro rating. It's another Friday news and comment edition, our last regular show of the season. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We have three guaranteed entries in the playoff tournament and a whole lot more to come. We gotta talk some baseball. After Thursday's game, three teams have punched their tickets for the playoff bubbles. In the American League, Tampa and the White Sox are in, both with 33 wins, although seeding remains to be settled. Right now, the White Sox half a game up. In the National League, the Dodgers have a major league leading 36 wins. They've been locked in for a while now. The more interesting situations are at the bottom of the lists, where a bunch of teams are still scrambling for that last wildcard spot. In the American League, Houston is holding down the 8th seed at 25-25, and 25, three games up on Seattle. The White Sox have the Central locked up, that looks pretty obvious, and Oakland looks like they'll take the Western. Then you have Minnesota, the Yankees, Cleveland, and Toronto all jockeying for position. In the National League, San Diego, Atlanta, and Chicago look like they're all but assured of division wins. After that, it's a race to the wire featuring as many as seven other teams. Miami, San Francisco, Cincinnati, Philadelphia, St. Louis, Milwaukee, the Mets, and Colorado, all within two games of that final spot. So hold on to your hats, we're in for quite a ride. And in the first inning of this Friday news and comment edition, our Market Watch player news reports, Ray Murphy is on deck with the American League, and leading off, it's our National League report, and for the last time this season, our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thank you, Patrick. We, we made it through a regular season in the pandemic, so uh, a 60-game season at least. Yeah, and it's better than nothing. I mean, of course, we would rather have had 162 games and all of the extra intrigue that goes along with that. But, uh, you know, 60 is better than zero. And I have to say it's been a fun season, uh, very interesting in a lot of ways as well. It has indeed, very definitely. Well, let's uh, start this last one with uh, New York City. Mets right-hander Jacob deGrom, arguably the best pitcher in the game right now, uh, if you don't look at uh, Shane Bieber in the same way. Uh, he left his start on Wednesday, uh, Jacob deGrom did, with a hamstring spasm, they're calling it. I've never heard of that before, but there's always something new in the world of baseball injuries, I guess. And I imagine fantasy players who have Jacob deGrom on their rosters are on the edges of their seats. Uh, Phil Hertz covered this one for playing time today at Baseball HQ. 
what's the latest on Jacob deGrom? Well, deGrom first had hamstring problem in his previous start, but he said it went away, so he didn't tell the Mets trainers. And in the Wednesday start against the Phillies, it came back early. Uh, and after he gave up three earned runs for the first time this year in two innings on 40 pitches, he left the game. Uh, those three earned runs pushes his ERA over two. Uh, DeGrom told the New York media he thinks he'll be okay, but uh, that he doesn't notice any issues until he starts firing the ball with intent. Yeah, I've been checking uh, this morning, uh, Friday morning, looking to see if there have been any updates, and there haven't, uh, at least as far as Google News is concerned. So, well, I just have to assume that uh, the matter is somewhat up in the air. But I noted at the opening of the show, Nick, that the Mets are still sort of mathematically in the playoff race, uh, just a couple of games back of Cincinnati and Philadelphia for the last wildcard slot in the National League. And I imagine if uh, Jacob deGrom's turn comes around and they're still uh, – looking at at least a chance of getting in, I'm going to guess he probably tries to get out there and give it a whirl. Yeah, that's true. Um, we can't discount that missing a start could cost you Grom a shot at a third straight Cy Young award, so he might want to give it a whirl for that purpose uh, also. Yeah, that would be quite something. Uh, of course, giving up those three earned runs in two innings probably didn't help his Cy Young chances either, but uh, he's had a great season, so uh, I'm sure he wants to go out if he's going to go out at all with a bang. Uh, I hope he gets one more start. You know, he, he's just great. He's great to watch. I've enjoyed him all, all season long. On to Cincinnati, where the Reds outfielder Nick Senzel returned from the IL on Monday. Tom Kephart covered the story for playing time today at Baseball HQ. What happens in that Cincinnati outfield with Senzel's return? It seems like a crowded sort of place. Well, Senzel's return after four weeks on the IL will likely mean reduced playing time for outfielder Brian Goodwin, who's seen the bulk of center field playing time in Senzel's absence, and, uh, and Jesse Winker. Goodwin's playing time reduction will be offset by a gain because he'll get some of the DH outfield uh, Jesse Winker playing time. Winker's currently sidelined with back soreness. So let's assume Senzel gets back out there, plays regularly. How likely is he to produce in the brief time remaining? Oh, that's a, that's a question. He hasn't been great this season. 216 batting average, two home runs, two stolen bases, uh, 724 OPS and just 51 at-bats. But his skills indicator suggests a BA potential. Expect a BA of 275, uh, increased power production, uh, 126 expected power index. Uh, really, at this stage, anything's possible. Uh, you might uh, even be right to be cautious considering since we'll have uh, some rust after four weeks being out of action. Yeah, I think that analysis is pretty spot on. And really at this stage, Nick, don't, you know, with uh, as few games left as there are, you have to say that anything's possible for not just Nick Senzel, but for any player in baseball, you know, could uh, could overachieve to the peak of his abilities or underachieve to the uh, li lowest limit of his abilities or anything in between. Yeah, very definitely. In Los Angeles, the playoff-bound Dodgers activated third baseman Justin Turner. He had been on the uh, IL with a hamstring issue. Uh, Jock Thompson covers the Dodgers for playing time today. Uh, what's going on with Justin Turner? Well, expect, expect L.A. to place Turner at DH a lot. That's where he was on Tuesday night. Uh, and not playing the field, of course, would help, re help him from re-aggravating that hamstring. Uh, he has contributed with 281 batting average, uh, 384 on base percentage. Uh, home runs are down for the year, just uh, two and over 117 at-bats, but a 193 expected power index suggests that he's due for some home runs. Uh, Edwin Rios had been playing third base on, was playing third base on Tuesday uh, while Turner DH'd and Max Muncy rested, but uh, Rios stands to lose the playing time with Turner being back. 
I also noticed that uh, Justin Turner was mentioned in Stephen Nickran's recent uh, Hitters Buyers Guide column as a target for September. Yes, I mean, uh, 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 Stephen said that Turner could provide some upper-tier production down the stretch. Um, Stephen pointed out that Turner posted an elite 226 expected power index in August, but that was hidden by a tiny 7% home run per fly rate. His uh, 66-percentile exit velocity, 77-percentile barrel rate confirmed that he hasn't been as disappointing as his overall production might suggest. So uh, there, there might be something out of uh, Turner in the next, the past, the week that's left. It's certainly worth a, a gamble. He's been a pretty effective fantasy producer over the years, although uh, with that hamstring problem, whatever stolen bases we might have uh, looked for, I don't think are going to happen. In Arizona, the Diamondbacks activated starting pitcher Caleb Smith from the IL and uh, sent down closer Kevin Ginkle. Uh, Phil Hertz covered the story for playing time today. Uh, what's the forecast in Phoenix after these two moves? Well, Arizona limited Smith's return uh, to just three innings. Uh, he did pretty well, allowing a homer and a walk while striking out three. If you need a starter down the stretch, there's a possibility Cable Smiths could help you. Yeah, a small possibility. Arizona is not a really solid team anymore, and they're sort of, I think, uh, from what I've seen, they've been auditioning players uh, at this point a little bit. And um, I I don't know that I'd chase wins with uh, Caleb Smith, but... You know, as we said, anything can happen. I had Kevin Ginkle on one of my fantasy teams, and I was feeling pretty smug about it because I thought he was going to be in line for saves. Am I the only one surprised that they sent him down? Well, it was. I think it really was a bit of a surprise, as many analysts expected him to figure prominently in the Arizona closer picture, despite a 220 line of uh, 6.75 ERA and uh, 213 whip. Uh, but that horrible line was the result of a very slow start. In his first 11 appearances, he had an ERA of 10.13 and a whip of 2.63. And since then, he's had a 3.38 ERA, although still an awful 163 whip. Okay, so Kevin Ginkle is out of the picture. Uh, assuming there are going to be any saves in Arizona, who's likely to get them? Well, I, you know, I do think that's pushing an assumption out there for the last week. But uh, on September 11th, Stephen Crichton got a two-out save, his third save of the season. He's been decent in both 2019-2020. Uh, 2019 had a 3.56 ERA, 3.51 XDRA with a 9.8 DOM, 4.1 command, 143 BPV over 30 innings. This year, 2.91 ERA, XDRA has jumped to 4.24. Uh, Crichton's DOM and command have dropped slightly. His BPV has dropped a lot, uh, down to 89 uh, this year. It may turn out that Crichton's save in the 11th was a rarity, but none of the other Arizona relievers jump out as closers. Uh, Two options are Hector Rondon and Yoan Lopez. Rondon has a 6.88 ERA and a 5.23 XERA in 2020. Hasn't saved the game since 2018. And Lopez has one save on his resume, uh, but not this year, and a 5.74 ERA and a 5.45 XERA so far this season. I think it's fair to say that uh, that Arizona will be looking for a closer in the offseason. Having traded away Archie Bradley, of course, uh, looks like if there is going to be a save opportunity, it might be Stefan Crichton's to lose. Uh, I, that's how I would play it if, if Stefan Crichton is available in your free agent pool this weekend. Yeah, you might, you might want to give it a whirl. Uh, the rest of the news as we speak, Nick, is pretty minor. So uh, let me ask you to look deep into your crystal ball for 2021. We discussed Jesse Winker, whose career before 2020 was just okay, but he was actually percolating a nice $15 year this year. Dan Marcus looked at the Reds in his Playing Time Tomorrow column covering the National League Central. 
Could Jesse Winker be an everyday player in 2021? Winker's always showed that he could make contact, an 81% career contact rate, but it never translated into results, a 58 career BPV. And a big part of the problem was a lack of power. Uh, 103 career power index is barely above league average, and he struggled against lefties, 197 career batting average and 180 career plate appearances. He's improved that this season, although in a very small sample. Uh, through 33 plate appearances against lefties, he's hit almost 300 with a slugging percentage up around 600, OPS over 1,000. And he looks full value for the power with a 239 power index. On the flip side, though, his strikeout rate against lefties has nearly doubled, striking out about 40% against left-handed pitchers. That's an interesting uh, dichotomy, isn't it, Nick? Uh, you look at a guy who seems to have turned it around when he can put the bat on the ball, but at the same time he puts the bat on the ball less than ever. It's a real, seems like a real tough circle to square. Yeah, it really is, although that may be, you know, maybe he's, he's swinging harder or doing something to put the bat on the ball better, but doing it less often. And uh, I guess it uh, depends on what, what you're really after here. Yeah, I think that could be a part of it. Uh, if he's hitting the ball harder, it means he probably is swinging harder, and swinging harder is, of course, le- tends to lead to more strikeouts because you have let bat- less bat control. Another problem for Winker has been his outfield defense, which makes Reds fan pine for the good old days of fleet-footed fly catchers like Adam Dunn. Yeah, Winker was in negative territory in all the fielding metrics from 2018 to 2020, uh, but this year he's actually crept above the waterline uh, and also the addition of the DH in the National League has made his defensive weaknesses somewhat moot. Uh, that could convince the Reds he needs and deserves full-time at-bats again in 2021. And before before we go on, what do you think is the chance of the National League keeping the DH next year? Because it's been uh, pretty well received this year in the short season. And, of course, the excuse has been COVID and you know the, the rosters and trying to protect the pitchers and all that kind of stuff. If you were a betting man, Nick, how, how much would you bet on a National League keeping the DH from now on? Maybe, maybe 60-40. I mean, it's been one of those kind of strange things in Major League Baseball anyway, with one league having the DH and one not. Uh, and I would guess that it, uh, uh, it's certainly a good possibility, I think, heading into next season. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how that all plays out. But I actually like it. I like it, too. I've never liked the idea of pitchers hitting. I, I know that the, the, the argument is, oh, you're missing out on all that strategy. And you think to yourself, really? You know, you're, you're a run down in the seventh and your pitcher spot comes up. What are you going to let him hit? You know, of course right. you're going to make a move. It's it's not like this is uh, you know von Clausewitz on war or whatever. It's or um, you know one of those kind of high strategic imperatives. It's it's usually pretty obvious. Uh, there's a couple of times a year, I guess, where you look at it and think, oh, that that was a, a dodgy decision to make. But uh, I don't. I've never bought it. And I I'd rather see a guy who can hit hit and a guy who can pitch pitch. And let's leave it at that. Uh, Getting back to uh, Jesse Winker, suppose he does get full-time at-bats. What does Dan suggest we might see from Jesse Winker in that situation? Well, you know, Dan likens the situation to Joey Gallo's high strikeout difficulties in the American League and says, buyer beware. Uh, and I think that, uh, that, that's uh, a, a, good, a good analysis. Yeah, I think it's one of those situations where if Jesse Winker's available uh, on the cheap, looks like a pretty good bargain, then I might be interested. But I don't think otherwise I'm going to be that uh, that keen on him. It looks like there's a lot of holes. Right, very definitely. 
Ryan Bloomfield, one of our favorite columnists at BaseballHQ.com, despite the fact that he tried to steal away some of my players in the league that we're both in, his column this week is called Mulligans. He's looking at some notable busts this year and uh, whether we should be willing to overlook them next year. Let's start with my second overall pick in the great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. Christian Yelich is single-handedly going to cost me first place in that league. Uh, Why should we give Christian Yelich a mulligan, according to Ryan Bloomfield? Well, if there was risk with Yelich as a top three pick, back issues, knee surgery in 2020, uh, skills were the least of our worries. But his skills this year have been awful. He's lost to the plate, 61% contact rate, 238 uh, expected batting average versus a career 76 contact rate and 282 expected batting average. Uh, Power has been there, but it's just uh, just four for six on the base paths. Uh, Perhaps there's an underlying injury we don't know about. It could be. He suddenly forgot how to hit, maybe. Uh, That doesn't seem very likely. Or just a two-month variant uh, amid the craziest season in baseball history. Uh, And maybe that's what's really going on here. I mean, we're we're talking about a very short time span. We've seen players do that before. Kind of uh, a great player go into the uh, tank for two months and and then rebound. So uh, Yelich, you got to remember, is one of a select few with two $40 plus seasons, 2018-2019. Uh, and he's likely to fall in the late first round next year after this year. So drafting him there could pay someone massive dividends. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I would push Yelich back into the second round, I think, because my worry, Nick, is that the stolen bases are gone for good. Uh, this He's had injury trouble. He's getting older. We know that speed is a young man's game. I, I think that the bat could rebound and probably will rebound, but those two $40 seasons, if I remember correctly off the top of my head, there was a lot of stolen bases in there, and I just don't see Christian Yelich being a speed guy in the same sense that we've come to expect as he uh, gets older and a little uh, stiffer (laughs) in the mornings as we all did. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's the kind of thing where you need to depend on his bat and and not not so much on the steals, uh, and that certainly drops him down a bit in terms of fantasy appeal. Another Bloomfield mulligan goes to San Diego starter Chris Paddock, who's a disappointment this year. Yeah, Paddock currently has a sprained ankle of 4.74 ERA, just three wins with less than two weeks to go, and uh, nearly all, though, of his underlying metrics, his BPV, his XERA, his command, have actually improved from his rookie breakout last season. Uh, just been very unlucky on fly balls, a brutal 24% home run per fly rate. Even with all of that, Paddock's not completely out of the woods. He needs a reliable third pitch to complement his nasty four-seam change-up combo. Uh, Ryan agrees with Stephen Nickrand that 2021 is this exactly the wrong time to give up on Chris Paddock. Uh, he's probably going to drop down in, in, in drafts next year. Uh, I keep him on my radar. Me too. And, uh, the, the stat that jumped out at me in, uh, Ryan's analysis is that 24% home run for fly ball rate pitching in San Diego. You wouldn't expect anything near that. Of course it could be, you'd have to look into it because of the short season. It could have been, you know, a couple of bad starts in Colorado, for instance, or, you know, uh, one of those kind of situations but most of those West Coast ballparks, and of course all the games in the West Division were in, uh, between West Division opponents, so American League and National League, there's a lot of big parks in both the American League and the National League West, so this 24% home run fly ball rate not only doesn't look right just on its basis, but given what we know about the ballparks in that division for the most part, it seems really weird, and, and really weird is often a buying opportunity. Yeah, very definitely. It's one of those things to, to really look at and 
this guy is a guy that certainly as a rookie looked like a, a top-tier pitcher, uh, and not so much this year, and, and that does create a buying opportunity. Nick, let's close with a, a feel-good story. Heaven knows we could use a feel-good story at the end of this uh, COVID affected season the nationals promoted an outfielder named yadiel hernandez and i gotta admit i hadn't heard of him too much uh, alan de leonardis wrote the story up for playing time tomorrow in his coverage of the national league east where are the warm fuzzies coming from here well you know hernandez defected from cuba in 2015 after starring with the country's esteemed national team he'll soon be 33 he wasn't filling a need as the washington outfield was mostly intact Although the move uh, suggests Juan Soto might get more DH at bat, he's the burden on his on his ailing left elbow. But still, it's not like the team is throwing Hernandez a bone in 2019. He was the Nationals minor league player of the year. He destroyed AAA, 324, 406, 604, uh, slash line, 87 runs, 33 home runs, 90 RBIs, seven stolen bases, and 508 plate appearances. Now, those numbers were achieved in the PCL where you've got the happy fun ball and uh, his 190-39 one weighted runs created plus suggests the numbers were impressive, even in that offensive context. He's been competing against younger players since his minor league debut in 2017. But at a certain point, you can't fault an organization for wanting to see what a guy who posts a minor league career flash line of 301, 385, 503 with a 12% walk rate and a 19% strikeout rate can do for a big club. You can say just how much playing time Hernandez will get down the stretch. Uh, time between left field and right field in 2019 for AAA Fresno, meaning he could spell Soto or Adam Eaton in addition to picking up some of bats at DH. Yeah, this is a pretty terrific story, and the, the minor league numbers are fairly interesting uh, to take a look at, especially for a 33-year-old guy, seven stolen bases in 2019. That, that's not nothing. We're talking about Christian Yelich uh, picking up a few bags here and there, but uh, at 33 years old, you really got to like that. Having said all that, Nick, I hate to throw a blanket over the story, but through Wednesday in the major leagues, Hernandez was 0 for 7 and had four strikeouts. Yeah, maybe this guy's not going to play a lot, and he likely won't make or break your team's fantasy season. But you should be aware of fringe guys who could end up making an impact if given the chance, and Hernandez's minor league performance has been too good to ignore, even for an old guy. Uh, maybe I like him because I'm an old guy too, but you know. Me too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Elaine wrote about Hernandez because he's a symbol of hope in a fairly hope-short year. Uh, there's always next year, and reflecting on the decision to call up Hernandez measure Manager Davey Martinez said, it's an older guy trying to live out his dream, and that's to play in the major leagues. And to be the guy to tell him, yeah, congratulations, you've really worked hard, keep on doing what you're doing, to see his face today when he was called up was awesome. And there's something to be said for that. There certainly is a, a great catch by uh, Alain de Leonardis to point that out and to, and to turn it into a bit of a parable about uh, the, the idea of maintaining your good, good luck and good hopes and, and looking forward to the future. Uh, Nick, uh, going to take a quick moment here to talk about the past. I uh, wanted to thank you for all you've done for Baseball HQ Radio this year, covering the National League, doing a great job. It's a lot of work. We have to get up early in the morning and, and look at things and figure things out, and uh, I really appreciate that you've done it again this year. You do such a great job. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. It's uh, You do a great job on your end as well, and it's uh, it keeps me on my toes, and uh, that's part of what fantasy baseball is all, all about, is staying on your toes and staying up with things. 
Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and our man on the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Over we go to the American League and BaseballHQ.com columnist and co-general manager Ray Murphy. Ray, welcome back to the show. We can have to go, Patrick. We're running out of time here. Going to bang out the news again. Running out of time, but certainly not running out of news. Uh, we could probably go on for an hour and a half here based on just the stuff that's been on the last couple of days of playing time today at Baseball HQ. Certainly a lot of stories and a lot of big names. Uh, usually at the end of the season, we see a lot of transactional sort of stuff where they want to bring up some kids and have a look and so forth. But we're seeing a lot of uh, big names uh, leaving the scene and perhaps no bigger than in Oakland. Uh, devastating news for the A's. All-universe third baseman Matt Chapman's going to undergo surgery. He had an injured hip. He's going to miss the rest of the season. Uh, how do the playoff-bound A's respond, Ray, with uh, other than, shall we say, a long string of words we can't say on a podcast? Yeah, probably the same way the fantasy owners responded. I guess for the fantasy, for the fantasy uh, managers, I guess the only good news is that you know it was it, we're only losing them for... 10 days, two weeks here, but uh, obviously the big impact on the A's is for the playoffs, and they're going to try to uh, stitch third base together with Vimeo Machine and uh, maybe Chad Pinder, although he just landed on the DL, but I think he'll be back for the playoffs, and they just claimed Jake Lamb off of uh, waivers, so they're uh, they're using the duct tape and glue approach, which is pretty much all anybody has available when you get dealt a body blow like this uh, this deep into September. I saw that Oakland called up Seth Brown. I, I activated him because I had a spot to fill on my American League only. And Seth Brown, uh, according to Baseball HQ, is going to get at least a little playing time. Yeah, and you know, like you said, the A's are you know well clear in the playoff picture, so they have the opportunity to spread the playing time around a little bit. And it does seem like Brown will get a look. Uh, you know, he's uh, he rates a six C on our prospect scale, so he's not super exciting, but. Um, you know, he's shown some big power outbursts in the past. Uh, you know, some of those came in friendly hitting venues like Las Vegas. So, uh, you know, take those with the appropriate grains of salt. But, you know, in terms of a lightning in a bottle 10-day option, you know, if you're looking for somebody who can bop four or five home runs at 10 days, there, there are worse places to go fishing. I suppose, and that's what I was hoping for. Maybe you know, lightning in a bottle is a good uh, way of putting it. But he's never hit a home run in the big leagues that I can see, and and I I don't know that uh, Oakland's uh, ballpark is the place you want to start fishing for home runs either. But he's also a left-handed swinger, which is going to help in that lineup and maybe get him a, a few extra looks out there. Uh, I'm not sure whether he's any kind of uh, fielding player, but I know he has a lot of versatility. Yeah, he's probably going to, the versatility should help him get in the lineup. Uh, you know, he can, he can go to first base, he can go to the outfield corners, uh, you know, he can, he can fake center field if they want him to. So, uh, you know, kind of player who in an expanded roster situation might have some utility. In Houston, uh, the Astros activated right-hander Lance McCullers from the 10-day IL. Uh, that was on Wednesday of this week. He had some elbow issues. Team uh, optioned uh, left-hander Sionel Perez to their alternate training site. Jock Thompson covers the Astros for playing time today at Baseball HQ. So where does Lance McCullers fit into the Houston pitching staff? Boy, you know, it was last week, I think, on the show where I was sort of speculating that uh, pitchers coming back from the alternative site seem to have a, a rough first outing or two since they can't go out on rehab assignments. And, the, you know, I was questioning the caliber of uh, the intensity of the competition at the alternate sites. And then McCullers, you know, tells me where to stick that by coming off the DL and throwing uh, seven shutout innings with uh, two hits, no walks, and eight Ks on Wednesday night. So safe to say he was fully ready to go.
the opposition was Texas, though, so you have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. Texas <laughs> appears to have thrown in the towel seriously that, you know, they're, they're playing a lot of uh, young guys, a lot of guys they want to have a look at. They pretty much, uh, we talked last week about how they've taken a lot of their veteran hitters and just told them there's the bench, you know, get yourself comfortable because probably you're not going to be seeing a, a lot of playing time. Uh, looking at McCullers beyond one start, he has been effective in the past. He's had injury problems in the past and he's been inconsistent. Yes, he's been very inconsistent and he w- he had not been, you know, that good this year before the gem coming out the DL, although he was out pitching his skills, you know, keep in mind that uh, he had missed all of 2019 uh, with, with Tommy John surgery. So, uh, you know, his debut in July of 20 was his first, uh, you know, game action and, you know, going on two years at that point. Uh, but even the uh, seven inning gem the other night only brought his ERA down to 487. Although his ex, his expected ERA is a full run lower than that. Uh, and he has made a little bit of progress this year with, uh, with the control, it's it's a little bit backwards in that um, the you know his walk rate has uh, been pretty good, and he's been keeping the ball down, which has long been his uh, signature as a high ground ball rate. But the uh, the strikeout rate is uh, not up to par. Uh, you know, before injury, he was a ten strikeout per nine guy, and right now this year he's only at about. 80.1 so that's uh but that i say that's a little weird because that's kind of backwards for what we usually see from uh the tommy john rehab cases usually the uh the velocity and the strikeouts tend to come back first and the uh command and control take a little bit longer uh mccullers seems to be coming uh coming at it a little bit uh different differently in his own rehab but you know all patients are different so that happens uh you know he's demonstrating you know good health i mean he's only thrown 40 something innings and if we look ahead to next year you know, I I think there's still a trap here to uh, look at the skills and say that he is better than these skills indicate, which is true. But I think we, we also have a track record that we can't rely on him to be healthy for anything resembling a full season. And, uh, you know, if he, uh, if he starts next year healthy, people at the draft table might lose sight of that again. Yeah, his past track record isn't all that inspiring even though he's sort of got his 20-ish starts his sometimes he's missed in 2016 he missed quite a few then in 17 and 18 uh, that was leading into the Tommy John as you mentioned he had uh, 22 starts and usually for a starting pitcher that you're counting on for fantasy purposes you'd like to see closer to 30 than to 20 and the the result has been that even though uh, Lance McCullers has been able to put up some pretty nice numbers, you know, 320-ish ERAs, 119, 130 whips are not that great, but he's never really got over the $10 value barrier, and I I don't think that there's any sort of pathway you can see to him being approaching a $15 or $20 pitcher unless he somehow does, as you say, solve this uh, injury bugaboo. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, as you say, he made his major league debut in 2015. So even with the loss of 2019 and a shortened 20, we've got, you know, he's been in our lexicon for going on six seasons now. And he's got a career total of, you know, not even 500 innings. He had 498 career career innings, which, uh, you know, you don't have to be very good with the Excel spreadsheet to tell you that that's about 100 inning a year guy, right? So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a nice, uh, nice even division problem there for you. Don't need to break out the... Uh... Hewlett-Packard calculator or anything like that. Uh, Houston also activated second baseman Jose Altuve. This is a former MVP. He comes back from the injured list on Tuesday. Uh, They optioned a a right-hander, Humberto Castellanos. 
Altuve, however, for all of his uh, pedigree and past track performance, was not that great so far this season. I'm guessing he goes back into the lineup, but what do we expect? Yeah, they're certainly going to try to shake the rust off of him and get him ready for October as well, but certainly been a uh, a disappointing season for Altuve. Uh, you know, this is now the third straight year that we've seen a uh, we've seen it, we've seen a lower body injury that's uh, you know impacted him, and that you know we do have to start worrying about the wear and tear a little bit. Uh, in 2018, it was uh, the right knee that was bothering him toward the end of the year. Then last year, he missed uh, somewhere around like a month and a half with a hamstring injury, and now we're back to the knee. So. You know, certainly, as I think we said last week, uh, you know, as, as as he turns the odometer into his age thirty uh, section of his career here, I think we got to start, uh, you know, re- reducing our expectations for stolen bases. I, I mean, I certainly think he can come back and be healthy and be a line drive machine, but I don't think he is. Uh, you know, I don't think he's healthy now, and I don't think that's going to change in the next ten days. Yeah, a lot of people are going to make wisecracks too about the the electronic vest and the trash can banging, right, right. <laughs> all that kind of stuff, and and point to that and say, you know, maybe this is why Jose Altuve has gone from being a really consistent forty dollar fantasy contributor for three or four years in a row there in the in the mid teens, and all of a sudden twenty nine dollars in two thousand eighteen, twenty three last year, eight this year. But I wonder if we're if people who look at that and say that that is the reason, and I'm not discounting it, but what they might be discounting is the fact this is a relatively small man, and baseball is a relatively tough game, especially under the circumstances this year where they're out there with very few days off, a lot of double headers, all this kind of stuff. The wear and tear on even a bigger guy is pretty pretty significant. And uh, Jose Altuve is over thirty, as you mentioned, and he's uh, he's a fairly small guy. And that uh, I wonder if that's uh, something to put in our minds as well. Oh, sure. I mean, we've been saying some variation of how can the guy with this body type do what he does since you know he arrived in the majors you know, a decade ago now, and he's been doing nothing but prove us wrong ever since then. And yeah, I was intentionally trying to avoid talking about the, uh, you know, the garbage can as a possible factor here, although it is a little curious that uh, his contact rate is down to uh, 79% from a, uh, you know, historical average in the mid to upper 80s this year. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, contact sounds like something that might be harder to make when you can't hear the trash can. Um, But you know, <laughs> but you know your point about the body type and the leg injuries and all of that. As you're as you're going through the history, it you know not to be alarmist, but it uh, it reminded me of another small stature second baseman whose career was ruined in his early 30s by uh, by knee injuries, and that's uh, the guy I watched locally up here, Dustin Pedroia. Uh, you know, his injury was a little uh, you know his knee injury was a little more uh, traumatic than. Uh, you know, the sort of wear and tear stuff that Altuve is dealing with. But, you know, there I think there is probably a thread to be a dotted line thread to follow there about the uh, small statured power hitting second baseman who gets absolutely everything he can out of his small frame. And when that small frame starts to break down even a little bit, the skills, uh, the, the skills take a quick hit. In Minnesota, the Twins activated right-hander Jake Odorizzi from the IL. Remember, he took that line drive to the chest that really cost him a lot of time. And they optioned right-hander Randy Dobnak to the alternate site. Uh, Let's start with uh, Jake Odorizzi. What does Baseball HQ analyst Rick Green think of Odorizzi's effect on the Twins' rotation? Yeah, so he obviously jumps back into, uh, you know, a prominent role with that rotation as, uh, you know, Numbers are probably not that uh, helpful at this point, but uh, 
you know, he's certainly, you know, assured to take his regular turns with uh, Berrios and Maida and Rich Hill, and they'll probably figure out what they want to do in the playoffs in terms of based on matchups. But, uh, you know, and Michael Pineda's back too. So that's probably your five, which make, made it an easy call for Dobnak to get uh, the short straw there. Uh, Dobnak had been getting knocked around quite a bit lately. So uh, he goes to the alternate site and he might be back for uh, the final weekend for a tune-up starter or something. Uh, Odorizzi get his first start back. It's worth noting only threw 66 pitches against the White Sox. He lasted uh, three and two-thirds innings. So there's still some, uh, you know, there's still some rust to shake off there. It had been, you know, a good four weeks that he had been out after that line drive, like you said. So there's, uh, you know, he's almost, uh, you know, starting from scratch in terms of, uh, in terms of workload. So you, you can project probably in his start early next week. You know, he'll probably get two starts next week if they just to get him to work before the playoffs, I would think. So that, uh, that alone makes him an interesting option for people still battling down the final days, I guess. Yeah, my only concern from that point of view would be, you know, three and two-thirds in his first start back on Wednesday. I just don't see Odorizzi getting out there and throwing six or seven innings. I wonder if they're going to start him twice more but keep the innings way down because, as you said, they are looking forward to October and they don't want to take any chances with, uh, you know, rushing this guy back to action because, in a way, this is almost like uh, the uh, start of spring training for him on a volume basis. And typically what we see when guys are just starting out is, a handful of innings here, a handful of innings there, everything, take everything slow and maybe try to work him up over the next uh, 10 days or so with a couple, three starts to get him ready for for October and not worry so much about what's going on here. Although they do have some interest in uh, flagging down the White Sox, taking over that top seed. Yeah, you're probably right. I, I, he probably needs the work for the two starts, but they're probably of the five inning variety best case. You know, he'll throw probably 80 pitches in his first start. <laughs> there, w- there wouldn't be much reason on the, you know, Saturday or Sunday of the last weekend of the season to have him throw much more than that again. So I would think that's probably a, uh, a good roadmap for how you're going to see him handle from here on out. Meanwhile, Randy Dobnak, man, at the start of the season, this guy was looking like Cy Young material. I think he was 5-1 and one after his first six starts. He had a 178 ERA. His whip was barely over one, but holy cow, the wheels came off really quickly on Randy Dobnak. And I have to say, I had more than one of my guest experts on Baseball HQ's uh, uh, HQ Radio podcast in the Boons and Banes pick Randy Dobnak as a Bane because they all pointed to the same thing. This guy doesn't strike anybody out. Like he's getting four strikeouts per nine or whatever it was. And, and and you just can't get great results with th- that low of, uh, of strikeout numbers, even if you are, as he was, uh, walking very few. Uh, what we've seen lately is more what we'd expect from a guy who uh, just hasn't got the power to to get guys out swinging. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty funny. It's, you look at the monthly splits; you can see that uh, it was, it's a great example of you know what everybody was looking at when they made those predictions and how you know regression is a powerful force. I'm just looking at his uh, hit and strand rates on our uh, monthly split tab and player link and. For only two starts in July, he was 25% hit rate, 90% strand rate. So, you know, a lot of good things are going to happen when you're stranding 90% of runners. And then in August, that fell back to 30% hit and 75% strand, which is pretty typical. Yeah. And his ERA was at 386. And then in September, in three starts, 37% hit rate, 50% strand rate. And yeah, then the ERA starts to starts with a six because that's what happens. The funny thing about all of it, though, is if you average all that together and you look at his season total, it's a thirty one percent hit rate and a seventy percent strand rate, which is about you know league average, and that comes out to a four hundred five ERA and a four thirty five x ERA 
which is, you know, for a guy who doesn't strike anybody out, but gets 60 plus percent ground balls. I mean, that's the kind of season long profile you expect to have. He just, you know, he just sort of front loaded all of his value, especially with those, uh, those five wins and five starts that he uh, popped off at one point, which were massive for his owners. And very valuable. I understand that the Twins also expect Homer Bailey to come back from the IL, so they'll have yet another starting pitcher option. I am, I assume he'll be in front of uh, Randy Dobnak as well, so uh, I don't see any path to playing time bar injury f- that Randy Dobnak can have uh, an effect. I wonder if he's even going to be on the playoff roster, frankly. No, I would think he probably wouldn't be. Um, there's, you know, I mean, maybe as a, you know, 14th reliever or something like that. Uh, you know, <laughs> I suppose he has some utility in the case where you really, really need a double play and he's got the 62% ground ball rate, but, uh, yeah, he'll be, uh, he'll, he'll be deep down in the depth chart as shown by the fact that they sent him to the alternate side rather than just putting him in the bullpen. They'll have him start working on his, uh, on his one inning, on his one inning appearances. Twins also activated catcher Alex Avila. He had a back problem. He came back on Wednesday. They optioned uh, Travis Blankenhorn, an infielder, to the alternate training site. I'm going to presume that Avila steps right back into a catching role. Yeah, at least for the moment. You know, we talked uh, previously about how both with both Avila and Mitch Garver out that uh, Williams Astadio was the uh, default catcher for a little bit of a stretch here. But now with uh, you know nine or ten days to go. Avila's back and he'll start getting his work in and Garver apparently is not that much further behind. We might see him this weekend, early next week. And for sure for the postseason, they're going to try to get, you know, the rust off of his back too. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see both these guys in the lineup of Avila and Garver quite a bit over the last week as they try to uh, shake the rust off and, you know, let Garver DH or play some first base or what have you, or uh, do that with Avila as well and try to uh, try to max out the at-bats these guys can get and get them ready for October. Yeah, I have Mitch Garver on my tout American League team, and I've been following his progress. And I noticed that the uh, St. Paul Pioneer Press, the local paper up there, reported that Garver's been getting some at-bats. He's been catching a little at the alternative training site. As you mentioned, uh, Ray, it's not the same as getting a rehab assignment. It's not the same as playing competitive baseball every day. But Rocco Baldelli, the manager up there, says Garver, and I'm putting this in air quotes, could be back next week. Um uh, but that's far from a guarantee, I guess. Uh, staying with catchers, Texas put uh, catcher Jose Trevino on the IL. He has a wrist injury, and they recalled catching prospect Sam Huff, who seems more interesting from a uh, lightning-in-a-bottle standpoint than Jeff Mathis, who looks like the primary playing-time beneficiary on the surface. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the last couple of weeks because you mentioned up toward the top of the show that Texas is one team that's sort of uh, – thrown some veterans to the bench and said that uh, they're going to take a look at the, their young players. And I can't imagine for the life of me why anybody would need more of a look at Jeff Mathis at this point. So it seems to me that, you know, if they're consistent about what they say and what they do, that Sam Huff should get some playing time in the next uh, week, week and a half. Uh, for, for the unfamiliar, Huff is a, uh, you know, catch, catch, rather unusual catching prospect. You'll spot him uh, fairly easily on the TV as soon as he comes out of his crouch because he is uh, – 6'5", which is not something you see in uh, catchers all that often. And newsflash, that 6'5 catcher is a uh, potential power bat behind the plate. I know this comes as shocking news to you, Patrick. Yeah, it does. Uh, Matt Wieters was pretty big, but I can't think of too many other guys like that. And Matt Wieters had a lot of injury problems. That's right. And I think even Wieters is only 
six three or six four. If if Huffy's a legit six five, then I, I I'm going to struggle to come up with you know any comps for that. Uh, but you know he hit 28 home runs uh, between two low minor stops in 2019. Obviously this year he's been. Uh, you know, over at the alternate site, so we we can't speak to any you know growth or anything that's going on there. Newsflash for a guy who's six five and swings hard and swings for the fences: there are some holes in this swing, so the uh, you know the strike the strikeouts are going to be an issue. But uh, you know, again, like we were talking about earlier, in terms of uh, lighting in the power in the bottle power prospects, you know, Huff is uh, somebody you might want to take a look at for the final week, especially because you can plug him at catcher. And I'm already thinking I'd much rather have him than. Uh, you know, for a week, then I'm trying to think of the direct. I'm running a catcher in some of my mixed leagues. Your Roberto Perez's, and heck, I was running Jose Trevino uh, myself in a couple of places. So, uh, you know, the, the bar to be better than that is uh, is not high. So, you know, 10, 12 at bats of Sam Hoff next week might be fun to watch. He did ring up a, an 800 OPS in four minor league seasons, so he obviously he can uh, he can hit. Uh, the question is whether he can hit at the major league level. We don't know that. Uh, also, he can really throw. Apparently, the uh, scouting report is that uh, as a catcher, he can really get it down there to second base, so he can hold the other team's running games down, which is not not nothing. I mean, uh, there's there are other issues with a great big catcher with framing and blocking the umpire's view and all of those kind of things that we know about that are uh, impediments to being a successful catcher when you're basically as as big as a you know NBA small forward. So Texas also activated outfielder Willie Calhoun from the 10-day injured list on Tuesday. He had a hamstring problem. They optioned outfielder Scott Heineman, whom they had just recalled a few days earlier. Rod Trusdell on the story for playing time today. Boy, Willie Calhoun, <laughs> this is a this is a kind of a sad fantasy story. We've been waiting so long and then he gets hit in the face and oh my goodness. Yeah, it really is, and I've, I've I've so long been intrigued by his profile, and he's somebody who I've I've, I've sort of always, you know, made made a point to try to own at a, at the right price, and really thought that it would pay off someday, and you know, just another completely lost season here. But you know, I mean, there's still so much. It's it's hard to believe he's only age 25, and he'll be age 26 next year, and so there are more opportunities to come. The thing I always liked about him is that he's not the big swing and miss massive power guy that so many other home run producers are. He gets the power in sort of the other way. I and mean, he actually makes contact a good percentage of the time, you know, North of 80% last year, although that's down this year and, you know, hits the ball, you know, still has some uppercut to the swing. So he gets the ball in the air more and, you know, at least in the old Texas ballpark, that meant good things happen. So maybe now that we know, what we think we do about the new ballpark down there, that that's a, uh, that's a reason to think the Calhoun's profile doesn't play as well there going forward, but it's a long off season and who knows where he'll be or what the outlook of where the competition will be next year. Like you said, Texas looks like they're really trying to make things over down there. And you would think he's probably still part of the solution, but uh, we don't even know that for sure. They're certainly going to want to find out. Uh, and the thing about him as a power prospect in Texas, uh, even if the park takes away a bit of the home run power, uh, he's one of those kind of power guys who isn't going to kill you on batting average. Unlike, uh, you know, there are sure, a lot that was of... the whole value proposition. Exactly 100%. right, yeah. He, he's uh, 269 in 2019, which in this day and age is, you know, bordering Ted Williams' country. And and uh, with 21 home runs and 300 at-bats. And, okay, say the... Say the uh, 
the uh, park takes away some of his home runs and 600 at bats he doesn't get 40 42 home runs but if he gets 32 home runs and hits 270 all of a sudden you're looking at a, a really useful proposition from a fantasy perspective 100 percent. and if you know if the 66 at bat you know probably 80 90 at bat by the time the season is over here but if this small sample lost pandemic season lowers the buying price on him come next february march i'll be buying back in again i can almost guarantee you yeah I'm he'll probably be a sleeper uh, Stephen nickrand wrote uh, at the time of the broken jaw that calhoun has some breakout potential but he's looking ahead to 2021 as well uh, we should point out that in 66 at bat so far this year based on his past performance he should have three or four home runs he hasn't got any so um, maybe there's uh, more to the situation than meets the eye the park the flinching off of inside pitches, having been hit by the pitch, uh, broken jaw, all that kind of stuff plays into it. Uh, Texas also DFA'd a right-hander, Luis Garcia, and recalled right-hander Demarcus Evans. And in this whole story, uh, Rod Trusdell covered this whole story, and this is the thing that he was most interested in, was the uh, recall of Demarcus Evans. Why is Rod so interested? <laughs> Rod is doing some deep mining there, yeah. It's... Uh... <laughs> Marcus Evans struck out a cool hundred hitters in just 60 innings. That's uh, that's eye popping across uh, two minor league stops. So we can see why uh, Rod would get a little intrigued here, especially with the uh, you know the uncertainty in the Twins bullpen the way it is. Of course, uh, you know with these strikeouts comes the uh, predictable bugaboo that comes along with that. Is he also walked 39 guys in nine, in 60 innings last year? So. Doing my quick math here, that's 139 walks and strikeouts in 60 innings. Uh, that's not a lot of contact. No, he's preventing contact one way or another. Uh, it's interesting that a guy could walk 39 in 60 innings and still have a command ratio over two. Uh, it looks like about 2.4 or so, uh, which ordinarily you'd like. But boy, uh, he's got to get some kind of command on those pitches. But mid-90s fastball, Rod said, and a pretty good sharp breaking curve. He just can't get it over consistently. But uh, he's definitely got swing and miss stuff, so he could be interesting maybe more for dynasty guys and and long-term keeper leagues and those kind of formats than uh, anything else but certainly something to keep an eye on i think as we go into spring training next year as well uh in new york ray hey aaron judge and john carlos stanton returned to the lineup this week um good news bad news for some other players i suspect as uh, the yankees spool up uh, they're playing really well they've made uh Quite a quite a leap passing Toronto, I think, this week with uh, scoring runs. It looks like football scores rather than uh, baseball scores. Yes, uh, I was. Ju you know, Judge made it back. Uh, the, the announcement at least came back a little sooner, and I was going to wait. And I wanted to actually see Stanton come back uh, before I actually declared him back. But uh, but sure enough, they, he, he played on Wednesday night as well. So the Yankees are you know pretty much back to full strength at this point. Uh, I think they're still waiting on Gio Urshela, who we talked about last week. But uh, you know, with Judge Stanton and Lemayhew all back, you know that, that's uh, bad news for. Oh, actually, Urshela's back too. So yeah, they're full strength, which is bad news for uh, the the fill-ins: uh, Tyler Wade, Thyro Estrada, Mike Talkman, Clint Frazier. All these guys go back to the bench, and the Yankees have their uh, postseason-ready lineup. Uh, all queued up for now and of course now the challenge is to see uh, that all of these guys can stay healthy for the next 10 days or so 
Tampa's reeling a bit lately too. They've lost a couple in a row and uh, uh, the Yankees look like they might be poised to take a run in the last 10 days to make up that three-game uh, shortfall that they have. But yeah, I'd be scared if I was the Yankees. I have Clint Frazier on a team and I thought when I heard this news, this is going to be bad news for him as well. But then Aaron Boone steps up and says, no, he's going to play. He's going to get some uh, playing time despite the return of Judge and Stanton, at least for the rest of the regular season. Well, then... Doing the, doing the quick math in the, in, in the lineup, then that's got to be bad news for Aaron Hicks or Brett Gardner, right? And then that probably means Frazier's got to go to center field, which is also bad news. So unless he's going to spread it all out and, you know, Judge and Stanton are only going to play two games out of three and Frazier works his way in that way. So, uh, you know, like you said, they're hot. So I'm sure Boone's going to want to keep the train running. And, you know, when they're hot and they got hot without these guys being around, maybe there's an element of uh, wanting to reward these guys who turned around, who were were there when the ship got turned around, you know. And also could be just a matter of trying to ride every hot hand you have because they can't be super confident that Judge and Stanton will play a lot because who knows another injury could be right around the corner but uh, yeah Frazier in uh, relatively short playing time he's got around 100 at bats he's hit seven home runs you know and, and really it's hard for any manager probably to say I got a guy who's batting over 300 his uh, OPS is over a thousand take a take a seat on the bench so I can bring back these guys who are injured at the, at the drop of a handkerchief uh, half the time I, I'd keep him playing too I think uh, Talkman's in trouble yeah, Talkman for sure is in trouble. He's the first one that goes back. And you're right about Frazier. He you know, get, probably saved himself or got hot again right at the right time this week when he uh, he hit two homers on consecutive nights in the middle of this week. And that was after he had gone. I think he only had one home run in the last two weeks before that. Uh, like you said, his, uh, you know, his OPS is good and his average is still hovering around 300. So, I mean, he's been very productive. Uh, there are, you know, as we've talked about with some other people on the show here, there are some some warts and it warts in the skill set. The uh, 69% contact rate, you know, suggests that, uh, that you know, the swing and miss could become a problem, um, and it would be a problem. Could be a problem in October. But I mean, he's also walking 17% of the time, and that was with uh, not exactly the iron of the Yankee lineup behind him. So, uh, you know, Frazier, Frazier, I think we can, you know, over as much as you can call a 99 at bat performance a breakout. I think we can call this a breakout, and you know, he's going to have he's going to have a role going forward. And finally, Ray, staying in the American League East, uh, the Yankees, as I said, have overhauled Toronto and uh, who have fallen into third place. Toronto, of course, was struggling with injuries of their own, but they got some good news on that front. They activated shortstop Bo Bichette after missing almost 30 games, and he immediately started at shortstop batting second. And this is a surprise. I have Teoscar Hernandez shares, and I thought he was done, and... Lo and behold, they activated him too on Wednesday. He didn't play, but he's supposed to be playing uh, this weekend. So, uh, good news for the Blue Jays. Yeah, they're uh, matching the Yankees' uh, DL returns with the, the big ones of their own, and those were two very significant injuries that we obviously lamented from the Jays' perspective when they happened. And you know, for all of the hand wringing about the shed, and he was going to be out for the season, then maybe it wasn't that bad, and he might be back fairly quickly. His return came. You know, right about where it was expected to be all along, right around mid-September. And at some point, I start to question whether it's a coincidence that all these guys come off the DL with, you know, about 10 days left in the, in, in the regular season for these playoff teams. And that this is just, you know, how many reps they think they need to get them ready for October. It's kind of comical. Uh, but Hernandez, we'll see if he's ready to go in another couple of days as well. But, I mean, he, you know, as good as Bichette was when he got hurt, 
Uh, you know, Tiaskar has to be the MVP of that James Jays team. He was just absolutely fantastic. He had, you know, 14 home runs and under 150 at bats. Like, he was just an absolute stud. The bad news there, you know, for all the guys who returned is they also brought back Ken Giles and he threw one inning, gave up a home run and landed back on the DL with the same forearm strain. So I would assume he's done for the year now. Oh, he's definitely done for the year, and that'll uh, free up the saves for the uh, guys that had been getting them all along uh, while he was out. Anthony Bass will probably figure in. Rafael Dolis will figure in. Might see A.J. Cole here and there. But uh, uh, I think the if you're trying to figure out what's going on in Toronto, just look at what they've been doing for the last uh, so however many weeks it's been since Giles hasn't been playing, and they'll probably just keep doing it. Yeah, I was bass for a little while, and I've, I've, I own some delays, and he's picked up some saves in the last 10 days or so. So I'm not sure if it's a hot hand thing or or what, but, uh, you know, there's uh, they're both pitching relatively well. So that it, it just it, bass to me, did not seem to do anything to lose that job. Delis was just better, I guess. Yeah, if they've got any uh, problems, I think it could be that uh, Taiwan Walker looked really shaky his last start. I, I think he went an inning in two-thirds or something like that and gave up a great big pile of runs. But his ERA for the season in Toronto is still only 156, so he's you know, he's doing something right along the way there. But you sure hate to see a pitcher give up a lot of earned runs in one sh- really short outing. Yeah, that was a uh, you know a fantasy miracle for a or a, you know the ultimate bullet dodged for Walker's owners. I think he gave up six or seven runs and only one was earned in that outing. So that's uh, <laughs> that's how he managed to keep that ERA down and save probably a couple of fantasy seasons in the process. That's right. Uh, I said earned runs. He just gave up a lot of runs, but luckily because right. of a <laughs> timely error, uh, only one of them earned. So it, it it made his it made his outing look better than it probably was, and no less worrying because uh, he was giving up a lot of contact in that game. I watched it, and well, you're you're thinking, you know, in, in ball four, Jim Bouton has a story about uh, giving up a lot of runs in an inning, and the manager comes out, and all he can think to say to him is, "What kept you?" <laughs> and I wondered, but you know, boy, oh boy, uh, uh, Taiwan Walker maybe at some point must have thought, I've thrown 43 pitches here and I got, you know, a couple of strikeouts and, and they're just giving up uh, hard contact all over the place. So Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking at his game log now. His velocity was the lowest it's been all year too. So, I mean, you know, hopefully nothing physical involved, but, you know, all indications are he just did that. He just had nothing. He had nothing is a good way to put it. Uh, Ray, glad you always have something, and we'll uh, do this one more time as we head to the end of the season, and then uh, as we start thinking about playoffs, uh, you, Todd Zola, and I will get together and we'll have a recap of the season, uh, short as it was, pick some MVPs and Cy Young winners and that kind of stuff, and have a little more fun with the 2020 season before we put it to bed and uh, start watching the playoffs. One of my favorite early October traditions, PD. I look forward to it. Ray Murphy is a columnist at BaseballHQ.com and co-general manager of the site. And of course, he's our man on the American League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. When we return, we'll come back with our Baseball HQ commentaries, Hey Taxi and Extra Innings, coming up next on Baseball HQ Radio. But right now, I've got a couple of words I'd like to say. In past seasons, I tend to save my end-of-season thanks for the close of the show, but I've wondered how often people listen that long. I really do want to make sure you get to hear how grateful I am to all the people who make Baseball HQ Radio possible and the show that it is. I'll start with our Market Watch news analysts, Harold and Ray. They do a lot of work behind the scenes to get ready for each week's news coverage, and then they do a great job delivering that news and analysis to you. 
And of course, I can't say enough about Alex Becky, who digs through those 60-man rosters every week to find candidates for his Hey Taxi commentary, those hidden targets we can use to improve our teams and look real smart while we do it. And he does it all while being the nicest guy in a business full of nice guys. And Baseball HQ Radio wouldn't be the show it is without all our guest experts who give up their time to join me here on the show and share their insights and advice. So one last thank you to Todd Zola, who appeared three times and was great every time as he always is. Gene McCaffrey is our traditional leadoff man every season. He led off twice this year because, well, you know. Ariel Cohen also appeared twice and was kind enough to invite me onto his podcast, the excellent TGFBI Beat the Shift podcast. I was happy to have three Baseball HQ staffers offering their special expertise, bullpens columnist Doug Dennis, news analyst Chris Olson, and injuries analyst Matthew Cederholm. We had fun and very interesting shows with Scott Pianowski and Alex Chamberlain. I also had three conversations with guys from my tout American League League, Mike Gianella, Jason Collette, and Howard Bender. And of course... As always, a special thanks to a special guest, the guy who started it all, Baseball HQ founder Ron Chandler. Finally, thanks to my wife Lisa, who puts up with this nonsense every week, listens to me recording and tells me when I flub something, which is more often than you might think, and she's the last voice on the show every week as well. And of course, thanks to you for listening every week and for your positive comments via email and on Twitter. Every show needs an audience, and you're the best. So thank you, one and all, and let's get back to our show. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular commentaries. My extra innings comment is coming up. And leading up, it's Hey, Texay! A commentary on players who are on Major League Baseball taxi squads, but who might sneak enough playing time and production to make them worth looking at for a spot on your roster. And here with a look at San Francisco reliever Camilo Doval is Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. Hey, taxi! Beep beep. What do you think of Camilo Doval? Could the 23-year-old San Francisco Giants reliever be lightning in a bottle? He was lightning in the minor league camp, said Giants manager Gabe Kapler in explaining the decision on Giants flagship station KNBR in July to add right-hander Camilo Doval to the Giants 60-man player pool. It's a really big arm, Giants manager Gabe Kapler continued. Our minor league staff is especially excited about Camilo. Later, referring to Camilo Doval's fastball-slider combination, Gabe Kapler added... From a stuff perspective, it's going to play at the Major League level. Echoing Gabe Kapler's sentiment, from a stuff perspective, Camilo Doval's fastball can reach triple digits, over 100 miles per hour, and he relies on a low arm angle that can generate heavy sink on his pitches. And, of course, a low arm angle also generally means a low launch angle or less home runs for opposing batters. So yes, that stuff will play at the Major League level. But will it play at the Major League level this season? Maybe it's worth a gamble, especially if the Giants hope to reach the playoffs. So hey, taxi, beep beep, meters running. San Francisco's Camilo Doval may be around the corner. Pick him up. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com. Alex Becky is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has delivered his Hey Taxi commentary here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. 
Now it's time for my extra innings comment, where I discuss baseball and fantasy baseball, and for my last installment of the season, I'd like to talk about having fun with prorating. All season, I've been asking our expert guests who do player projections how they plan to account for the 60-game season when they're projecting for 2021. 60 games, after all, is a relatively short sample for a lot of stats, which makes a 60-game outcome much more prone to variability. Just for an example, let's take a good, not great hitter like Nick Markakis. Markakis is a really good doubles hitter. Since 2011, he's averaged about 34 two-baggers for every 650 plate appearances, and that matches about the 33 doubles he's had per the arbitrary length of time we call a season. But over a 60-game period like this season, Markakis' doubles rate has fluctuated pretty wildly, from a low of around 7.6 doubles per 650 PA to a high of about 57. In July of 2012, he reached 52.1, and the next April he was down under 30. It's a highly variable thing. Markakis' doubles rate soared this season from around 30 per 650 to over 55, and that includes an 81 double pace in 2020. That got me thinking, always a dangerous proposition, about prorating the other offensive scores for this shortened season and comparing the leaders to the season records in baseball's free agent era, starting in 1977. To make sure the prorating was fair, I used the record holder's plate appearances. So, for instance, Barry Bonds, as we know, has the single-season home run record, hitting 73. That was in 664 plate appearances, so for the home run category, I prorated to the same 664 plate appearances. Players needed a minimum of 90 plate appearances this season to be included in the analysis. Home runs. Well, I mentioned Bonds keeps his record, but two other players came really close. You won't be surprised that 2020 home run leader Luke Voigt is one of them, with his 20 taters in 190 plate appearances, prorating to 70 home runs in Bonds' 664 plate appearances. The other 70 home run pace hitter might surprise you. It's Byron Buxton of the Twins, who also prorates to 70 home runs. He has 12 home runs in 114 plate appearances. RBIs. Again, close but no cigar. The modern record, if you want to call it that, is Manny Ramirez in 1999, 165 ribbies and 640 plate appearances. Eric Hosmer of San Diego came close, with 32 RBIs in 128 plate appearances, prorating to 160 RBIs in Ramirez's 640. Five short, that's not bad. In stolen bases, oh boy, you could give Roman Quinn double Ricky Henderson's 656 plate appearances in 1982, and Quinn still wouldn't match Ricky's 130 stolen bases that season. Quinn's thievery prorates to 62 bags, which is excellent in this day and age, but boy, I don't think anybody's going to touch Ricky. In runs scored, our first new record holder is Tim Anderson of the White Sox. His runs total when prorated to Jeff Bagwell's 719 plate appearances in 2000 would give Anderson 162, 10 more than Bagwell's total. By the way, DJ LeMahieu of the Yankees at 157 prorated runs would also surpass Bagwell's mark. In hits, I never thought I would say this, but we have another winner in 2020. Give Baltimore shortstop Jose Iglesias Ichiro Suzuki's 762 plate appearances from 2004, and at the rate he's banging out the knocks this year, Iglesias would have 271 hits, edging Ichiro by 9. Anderson would also be close at 260.
doubles. From what I said before, it'll come as no surprise to you that Marquecas leads 2020 and blows Todd Helton's 2,000 total of 59 doubles right out of the water. Marquecas prorates to 81 doubles, and in fact, 10 players prorate to match or better Helton's total if you give them his 697 plate appearances. In triples, Kyle Tucker of Houston has 22 when you prorate to Curtis Granderson's 676 plate appearances in 2007, but Granderson holds on to his crown 23 triples that season, one better than Kyle. Total bases. Some fantasy owners, including this one, would like total bases to replace home runs as a counting stat so that fantasy players would get full credit for all the doubles and triples that currently go uncounted. The record holder in total bases is Sammy Sosa, who had 425 in 2001. But you give his 711 plate appearances that season to this season's hitters, and three of them eclipse Sosa. Luke Voigt with 427, Jose Abreu having a great year, he'd be at 429, and your new champion, once again, Byron Buxton of the Twins, who prorates to 430 total bases. Of course, he'd have to survive a whole season without injury, so don't count on it. Finally, strikeouts. The prevailing record is 223, set by Mark Reynolds in 2009. Not surprisingly, in today's game, 14 hitters prorate to more whiffs if you give them Reynolds' 662 plate appearances. The leader of the pack, if a leader is what he is, Miguel Sano, at a remarkable 284 strikeouts in a prorated Reynolds season. And that's it. Today's hitters set new levels in runs, hits, doubles, total bases, and strikeouts, while homers, RBIs, and especially stolen bases stay in the past. And of course, keep in mind that prorating doesn't account for slumps and injuries and changes in team context, or for just plain variability. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt. I've been doing these extra innings commentaries all season, every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, September the 18th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 28 of the 2020 Fantasy Baseball season, our last regular show of the year. As I mentioned, we will have another show, a roundtable season ender, with Ray Murphy and Todd Zola next week. In the meantime, one last thank you to the regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business, our Market Watch commentators Harold Nichols and Ray Murphy, and our Hey Taxi commentator, Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. I'm Patrick Davitt, your Extra Innings commentator and the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I sure hope to see you on those BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also follow my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to your podcatcher, leave Baseball HQ Radio a good review and a rating, because it really does help us find new listeners and that keeps the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week with our special roundtable edition for the end of the 2020 season on the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. Stay safe, wear a mask, and keep everybody else safe. Talk to you next week. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. 
Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.